you can't then dress yourself as I was saying sometimes my partners have to put my underwear on that is so embarrassing I feel it was just it was huge you know not being able as I said to dress the kids not being able to take them out to the park you know know, when I had my second child um, I couldn't hold him I couldn't breastfeed him because the weight on your spine is going to be too great you know it was just Hello and welcome to Keeping It Real, Australia's favourite plastic surgery podcast. Today we're delving into arguably plastic surgery's most misunderstood and misrepresented procedures, the humble tummy tuck. For those outside of the plastic surgery world, tummy tucks are often used interchangeably with liposuction or seen as a means to quick weight loss. This is most likely a remnant from the early aughts zeitgeist, where shows like Nip Tuck and plastic surgery reality TV reign supreme. But women who've had an abdominoplasty will prove it's not a light-hearted cosmetic procedure. In this week's episode, we'll hear from Regal Tina, who gives an honestly harrowing description of what life was like with severe muscle separation for four years and why Australia removed postpartum muscle separation from the MBS. But first, I'm joined by Dr. Richard Bloom to explain what exactly muscle separation and abdominoplasty are. Sure. Uh, So the medical term for a tummy tuck is an abdominoplasty. Uh, There are a number of reasons why you might have an abdominoplasty. One would be weight loss. The other main one would be after having children. Uh, When you have children and also when you put on weight, the skin is stretched up and you increase the amount of tissue uh, intra-abdominally, so around all of your organs. And when that happens, it stretches out the muscle wall. So the abdominal wall is made up of two muscles in the, in the middle, which are the rectus abdominis muscles. So that's what gives you your six-pack that people talk about. But then attaching into the side of them are some other muscles which together make up the abdominal wall. So when there is an increase in pressure in the intra-abdominal space, whether that be due to fat or pregnancy or other things, that all gets stretched up and people then, the the tissue between the two central muscles gets stretched and that's what people refer to as the muscle separation or the divarication, to use the more medical term. And people focus on that, but the, the laxity or, or weakness in the abdominal wall, that's part of it. But it's also because those muscles that are inserting into the rectus abdominal muscle are then not in the right place. So to simplify and give you a sort of a more uh, practical um, analogy, think of the reins on a horse. So if the reins on the horse, they're the muscles. If they're slack and you pull on a rein of the horse, the horse won't move. When they're nice and tight and and on maximum stretch and you pull left or right rein, then the horse notes to move left or right. And so the muscles function in a sort of similar way to that. So when they're all slack, which they might be after being stretched, they don't function well. And then part of a tummy tuck is repairing that. So we stitch those two muscles together, which closes the gap pulls the other two muscles together, everything is then well aligned and then the muscles can function better and also the tummy wall will be flatter. 
we're going to be speaking to one of your patients, Tina, a little bit later. Somebody who gave birth and really felt the effects of muscle separation. In your experience, what are some of the more common functionality issues that women experience? So the type of symptoms uh, women get, and they all relate to a, a decrease in their core strength. So lower back pain, that's probably the most common thing I see. Then actual impacts of lack of core strength. So I've had, and Tina, Tina's uh, going to discuss that. She had problems with uh, straight leg raising, getting in and out of bed. So they impact women in, in their ability to you know, work and function and exercise, stay fit, stay healthy, do normal activities of daily living. Uh, and then sort of some other, a little bit more um, uh, indirect things like urinary incontinence. So urinary incontinence is actually reasonably common after pregnancy. And so that's where you, you can't control um, your, your urine and a little bit comes away if you're sort of coughing or sneezing or straining. And th- those symptoms, and I've seen this in patients, can also get better after you do a muscle repair as part of a tummy tuck. I'm going to segue now to former repatient Tina to get a first-hand account of what it's like living with severe muscle separation for four years. Tina, thank you again so much for talking to us today. You were a patient of uh, Dr. Bloom's and he said that, you know, you've come in with muscle separation, which is obviously a super common condition amongst women and comes through myriad ways. What caused yours? So I was diagnosed with muscle separation uh, following the birth of my first child, and that was in 2015. Um, he was quite a large boy. He was mm-hmm. 4.8, and I oh only have quite a small frame. Um, so that was when it was first diagnosed. Gotcha. And, um, and how many children do you have? I have two now. So had your muscle separation persisted in between those two children? So my back pain initially started when I was pregnant with my first son in 2015. And then I was seeing a physio and doing um, Pilates. Then I was diagnosed post-pregnancy. The muscle separation continued with the Pilates. And then with my second child, again, another big, big boy and yet more muscle separation. Again, continued with the Pilates. But yeah, again, nothing really seemed to help with regards to the muscle separation. Yeah, of course. You mentioned then back pain. What other kind of pre-surgery symptoms were you suffering? Oh, so there was quite a lot. So with my second child, uh, I, my, I was actually diagnosed with a foot drop. So my left leg became paralyzed. Oh, no. And at 32 weeks pregnant, I had emergency spinal surgery. And again, lots of Pilates and intensive rehab. So I had rehab for six weeks and yeah, continued on with Pilates and core strengthening. Yeah, post post-pregnancy I was unable to pretty much dress myself on some days I couldn't put my own shoes on or I couldn't dress the kids Um, my little boy I couldn't put his nappies on Uh, driving was an issue even getting out of bed would you believe that was very difficult on some days even just walking to the local shop was 
you know, not easy for me. So there was a quite a lot of issues, really. That would just impact your life massively. I, I personally, my first thought wouldn't go to, you know, muscle separation was the cause of all that. Did you see any other doctors before you came in to see a plastic surgeon? Yeah, well, I went back to my initial surgeon um, because he was an amazing surgeon. He got me to a point where I was able to walk, which was pretty huge. Oh my um, but again, the, the pain, the chronic pain just persisted. It, you know, it just it never, ever went. And he kept on saying, you know, just keep going with the, the, the core strengthening. Just keep improving your core throughout um, that whole time from 2015, I'd been seeing a women's health physio who, again, was amazing. And she she was quite concerned with this separation. You know, four years had gone by and this yeah. separation hadn't improved. I'd gone to various different neurosurgeons. In fact, prior to the surgery, I'd seen one just a few weeks uh, earlier who had said that I needed a spinal fusion. Oh but the God. downside of that was that I may get the uh, the same complication again following that surgery, the foot drop. You know, I was oh, 38 okay. years old and I didn't want to be dragging my leg for the rest of my life. I'd said to him, all I want from, from you know, is just to be able to live a normal life, put my own clothes on without my partner having to help me. Um, be able to push my kids on the swing was my was my number one goal. That's yeah. all I wanted, really. And so when you came to see um, Dr. Bloom and, you know, you guys decided that you did have the muscle separation, what surgery did you end up having? So before I saw uh, Dr. Bloom, I went one day to just a regular appointment to see my women's health physio. And it was her that actually said, look, Tina, you know, four years have gone by now with you having the Pilates and, you know, this muscle separation hasn't improved. And it was here that actually said, look, I feel you need to now go and speak to a surgeon because all the work that you've been, you know, putting in yeah. hasn't really, hasn't changed things. Yeah. I went to see Dr. Bloom. I had a lot of reservations. You know, this is a big surgery. It's not something that you take lightly. Yeah. Um, he, he, diagnosed muscle separation he said the same thing as my physio it was a very large separation um even when he was getting me to do straight leg raises I couldn't lift my leg even you know 90 degrees and that caused me significant pain uh he felt that I would have been a very good candidate for the surgery so I was pretty confident that there was a glimmer of hope really that you know the chronic pain could have been changed yeah, I think even to hear that you were doing so much Pilates, so much rehab around your core and everything, and to hear you can't even do a leg raise just proves oh, how debilitating even, this is. Even just sitting on the couch trying to watch TV, like I'd have to change positions like every 10 minutes sitting in a car, you know, that was driving uh, a nightmare. Like so many things that you just take for granted would, would cause me pain. Pain was a, a daily occurrence in my life, really, at that point in time. God, it's just, it's just so shocking, I think, like just to hear that and to think what all you've had is done is have a baby and to think that it's like completely yeah. shattered your life. So you had, yeah. a, you had an ad- abdominoplasty. Um, yeah. What was the kind of recovery process from that like? Uh, so the recovery, um, within two weeks I was 
out walking around the block. I'd put my music on and I'd just go for a, a little slow walk. I would walk as slow as a snail, but I didn't care. You know, I was getting out. And, you know, I can't say that the recovery was, was that bad. There was a couple of heavy days where I thought, oh, you know, this is, I've got to be a bit careful with things. But, you know, I can't say it was like a, compared to the spinal surgery, it was a walk in the park, really. And yeah. um, within six weeks, I was back to driving and it was actually when I was driving and I put my foot down on the clutch that mm. I noticed this really weird sensation. I thought, wow, what is that? Mm. And it was actually my muscles engaging for the first oh time and I started to cry. Oh, <laughs> like I turned the engine off and I just cried and even now it makes me emotional to think back that I'd gone through, you know, four years really of being in this daily pain and yeah. You know, having to take time off work as a dentist, you know, when I have these back spasms and the, the, you know, the physio would say, okay, you're having back spasms, she'd tape me up and she'd say, you have to go to the GP now, they'll give you muscle relaxants. So I'd have the sedatives and three days I'd be there like a zombie, you know, you, I couldn't then work, which, you know, you have the financial implications of seeing yeah. a physio, seeing a GP, the medications being off work, but also, you know, the social implications of it are huge that, you know, you can't then dress yourself as I was saying, sometimes my partners have to put my underwear on. You know, that is so embarrassing, I feel, as a a male or or female to to have that. Um, It was just, it was huge, you know, not being able, as I said, to dress the kids, not being able to take them out to the park. You know, when I had my second child, um, I couldn't hold him. I couldn't breastfeed him because of, you know, the surgeon said that the the weight on your spine is going to be too great. You know, it was just, there were so many things. And, you know, it's also the, the burden as well on the health system as well of, mm-hmm. you know, having to pay out for, you know, for someone to have to go constantly to their, their GP. And, you know, I, I ended up having to see a psychologist and, you know, the Again, financial implications of that. It affected my relationship with my partner because it put a strain on him. My relationship with my kids because there were so many things that I couldn't do and being told by so many health professionals, you know, you can't do this, you can't do this. And yeah, then to have the surgery and to, you know, to, for it to completely change, it was all the things that you could do all of a sudden. And that was pretty massive for me. Yeah, of course. I think that you're in every other way this fit and healthy woman in her thirties to have such a huge that completely impacted and transformed your life. And then this surgery, it's like, oh wait, this is the life I'm meant to be living. To go from hearing, look, you know, you're going to have this is your next surgery, and there's the chance of having this disability again. You, this is your life now. You know. It was just, it's heartbreaking really that that is, you know, just a pattern that will happen for so many people, I'm sure, really, when, you know, there is another option. And, you know, to hear this as well, when you're so young and you think, you know, this is my life now with with my kids, they're just kind of stuck with me like this. And then you have that surgery. So people, you know, I feel very strongly that everyone should have access to good Healthcare, yeah. and as a health professional myself, 
I feel there's something that the government really strongly needs to get behind. There are other options for people. I'm not saying that this surgery is right for everyone. You know, for me, it wasn't a cosmetic um, procedure. It, it, dra- it drastically changed my, my whole life. And I feel everyone should have the opportunity to have that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've talked um, quite a bit about the implication of the causation of being on the MBS. So as you're well aware, women who have um, undergone massive weightless surgery are eligible for it, as they should be. Massively, they do deserve an item number as well. And we've heard directly from you how much muscle separation can impact your life. But you haven't had massive weight loss and you've gotten muscle separation through pregnancy. There's this kind of implication that it's just cosmetic how does that make oh, you feel so, to hear? That, uh, that just really, really annoys me. And I think it's just, you know, it's so unfounded and it just smacks up people that just don't understand what muscle separation is. You know, I'm a dentist. If a patient came into me with a whacking great hole in their, their gums, I wouldn't say, oh, that's a cosmetic thing, you know, don't worry about it. But yeah, there's food packing in there and it's affecting how you eat and you speak and everything, but it's just a cosmetic thing. Yeah. You know, it's the same with your muscles. You know, I'm sure most people who have muscle separation are going and doing the same thing that I did, you know, the, the constant exercise. You know, I was with a, a, a qualified physio and I was doing this daily, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars over all of those years and it didn't improve and I felt it hadn't improved but you just you know you keep going with it because you know there was no other option for me my only other option was another surgery a big surgery which you know I didn't want to do um this 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 cured my problems but it, it should be you know really need to to get out there people need to really understand that there is another option I will just say thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I honestly am covered in goosebumps. I don't think people outside of, you know, people that haven't given birth or haven't experienced this or have given birth and haven't had this can't really understand what it's like. And I think you are a phenomenal spokesperson to really explain how hard and how debilitating it can be and how it's not a cosmetic procedure. Absolutely. It's not a cosmetic procedure, really. It can be something that really transforms people's lives, which will not just have an impact on that individual, but everyone around them, their friends, their family, their work colleagues. You know, I've, I've gone from being a person of, I, oh, you know, I can't do that. I've, I've been told I can't do that to finally having hope and, and now do. And that is, I think, just you cannot put a price on that. What a shocking story from Tina. And Richard, based on what you've told us earlier, that's not even necessarily a rare one. And maybe the gravitas of which isn't fully understood by people who haven't had children or um, aren't in that world. Men. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, or the many women who haven't. Um, Since it is such a common experience, why do you think that it's being taken off the MBS just for women who have had children and not those who have had severe weight loss? Yeah, it's a great question. I think plastic surgery is just low-hanging fruit. So as, as you say, it's just, 
in some ways trivialised in the media on you know, TV shows like Nip Tuck and even botched shows like that. Uh, and so the government's got, got a, a fixed amount of money to spend on healthcare. It's a significant part of the GDP, but there's a certain amount. So when they remove an item number, that's a whole chunk of money that they don't have to pay. So from their point of view, they look at a, a plastic surgery procedure and they say, tummy tuck. And for the, a lot of people, as you've just said, who haven't experienced the symptoms, that says, oh, tummy tuck, that, that's cosmetic. Yeah, get rid of that. And they, they've ignored a lot of the symptoms, um, which we discussed earlier, uh, that come along with that muscle separation. So I think it's just an economic decision that the government makes. Plastic surgery is trivialised in, in the media uh, and other places. And so it's low-hanging fruit for the government just to remove and they save a whole lot of money on their budget. And I think everyone can understand from hearing this podcast, hearing Tina's story, experiencing it themselves, that it's pretty ridiculous that it's not on the MBS. What would it be included? Or to say included is doing it a disservice because it was on there. So being brought back onto the MBS, what would that mean for women who are suffering the same kind of things that Tina has? Absolutely right. It was there up until 2016. Ill-informed decision was made to remove it. The ability for women to access this service would be dramatically increased if there was an item number. And so there's a certain amount of rebate that comes from Medicare if there is an item number associated with a procedure. But what it then also does is it's then recognised by the private health insurance companies. So if there's an item number for a procedure, then the hospital fee, the theatre fee, and some of the surgical and anaesthetic fee will also be paid. So we're talking thousands of dollars that it would save women having this surgery. So we've talked about the fact that uh, muscle separation, there's a variety of things that could cause it, uh, the biggest of which are um, postpartum or massive weight loss. Is it bizarre that for this one thing, muscle separation, this item number, that it's actually dependent on the cause? Absolutely. And this is the thing that really bugs me because – As far as I know, there are no other item numbers uh, that are restricted due to the cause of the problem. So if you break your leg hang gliding or if you break your leg falling off a ladder, the, the item number doesn't change. If you get lung cancer just because you genetically get lung cancer or if you get lung cancer because you've been exposed to asbestos or if you get, which you don't have control over, or if you get lung cancer because you've been a smoker your whole life and you've got private health insurance, then you're covered. So as far as I am aware, this is the only item number on the Medicare benefits schedule which discriminates based on the cause of the problem. So if you've lost weight, in which and, 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 and we have a lot of patients who have lost weight and are deserving of the number as well, They may have also had bariatric surgery, which also has been partly paid for by the government. And then they're entitled to use the item number for a tummy tuck or a body lift compared to a woman who has had two or three children, maybe worked her whole life, never used any medical services at all, and then is significantly impaired by the muscle weakness, 
uh, maybe can't even get back into the workforce, can't live her life how she wants to live it, and then she can't access it compared to someone who has, has, has lost weight. So that's where it's discriminatory and so unfair. And is it the implication of that causation clause that women who uh, need the surgery for muscle separa- postpartum muscle separation is that it's purely cosmetic and they're just doing it because they want to look better as opposed to any real medical effects? I think that's the perception, but I don't think it's the reality. And I don't think you should be penalised just because you – will look better after a tummy tuck, even though it's going to I- improve you functionally. Like, like that, that shouldn't then detract from the fact that you've actually had something improve you. I mean, an analogy would be sort of someone maybe having um, a knee replacement. So then primary symptom is pain in their knee, but they walk real, like with a limp and they're, they're hobbling and they, they can't get around and then denying them the item number because they look better when they're walking um, and it's cured their pain as well. So it just it doesn't really fit. It doesn't make any sense based on how every other item number in, in the book works. Yeah, definitely. It sounds like 101 discrimination to me. That's what I think. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week, Keeping It Real listeners. If you'd like to have your voice heard about including postpartum muscle separation in the MBS, please fill out the survey in the show notes or on our Instagram before the 29th of May. If you liked this episode of Keeping It Real, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, why don't you have a flick through our past episodes? We'd love to hear your requests for future topics, so send your suggestions through to us on IG at replasticsurgery. That's all for today and we'll catch you next time for another peek into the world of plastic surgery.